Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Man, we are at... An absolute skeleton crew on the Bear Grease podcast. Wow. Hmm. You say, some say skeleton, some say the dream team. That's what I'm saying. There's five of us. I'm saying dream team. Dream team. It's oh. hard, hard to work with a diva. It really is, yeah. We just keep churning through people. I don't know. Was it some of those private Spurious conversations? <laughs> Maybe. Coincidence? Maybe. Man, I, you wouldn't believe who I invited today. That they wouldn't come. Who? Wow. I mean, I Elvis. could go through names. Elvis. No, just Pete person after person <laughs> after person. Pete person. Maybe you should wouldn't. get somebody else to do the inviting. <laughs> Give me the list next time. Maybe I can yeah. get more yeah. people yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> No, we, so typically on the Bear Grease Render, we have six people. Today, we have five. Mm. I, but I, it, it really is the dream. Team. I can stretch my legs out today, at least. Yeah, yeah we I got feel like a it's a little bit sketchy to say this is a skeleton crew. Yeah. Well, I mean, for 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 typically where we have six people, this yeah, is a skeleton. Josh and I are person. not wedged into one headset. That's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That well, mustache already, tickles my ears. <laughs> <laughs> On the we've other side, we've of already head. had an <laughs> interesting beginning. Dan had to totally fix one of our chairs. He was screwing together a chair. But hey, welcome to the Bear Grease Render. Good to be hey, here. Hey, this is the this is the Thanksgiving edition oh. of the Bear Grease Render. Well, happy Thanksgiving. I'm glad you didn't skip over it and go straight to Christmas. That's the way it's going in my house, and I'm not happy about really? it. Really? Hey, man, yeah. my some of our the, the patrons of our town that we live in, mm-hmm. like 
10 days before Thanksgiving, they've got Christmas lights up. Every time a Christmas decoration goes up before Thanksgiving, they throw a pilgrim off the ship. <laughs> every time. I hope you're happy, community we live in. Yes, exactly. Man, every time I drive past it, I lecture my kids on why they need to dial it back a notch. Yeah. Just a notch. We got to instill the right values and claim when people are wrong. That's right. Listen, I think that I think that we do need to have a community conversation about holiday decor in general. There's a big push, and yeah, I don't know if this is appropriate to talk about on the Bear Grease podcast, but there's a big push for morbidity when it comes to, to Halloween, Halloween decorations. It's like they wake up and they see their neighbors. Ha- I won't. I won't speak of what they put in their yard. It's so gross and gruesome for Halloween, and then the other neighbors seem to think. Oh, we should do that too. And there's like a domino effect. Yeah, I understand. Of, it's pretty. It, well, there there is a strong correlation, and it goes back okay, to ancient human, <laughs> ancient human social, the way that we interact with each other socially. Okay, you go to any 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 little town in the world in the United States, and you drive through. <laughs> is it the world or is it the States? It's a little the United States. And if there's one family that does something really well, you'll usually find a cluster of families. And if you have history in that community, you'll, you'll be like, hey, they used to be the only one that did that. What we're talking about is Halloween decor, okay? There are people that are real comfortable with like putting like skeletons, burning witches, uh, headless headless what? people in it, their front in yards their front for yard. Halloween for a month I have to drive by that to, uh, just to go get groceries like I can't get milk without seeing something that, <laughs> that I would is not supposed to incite in us like oh man that's where we'll stop when we take our kids to go knock on their <laughs> no! door to get candy <laughs> no thank you no thank maybe, you <laughs> maybe it's like that's what they're trying to do is keep people from coming to their house to, maybe they don't even buy candy more These candy are, for us I, I think people, people are so desensitized to it that you just see Halloween decor, and you're like, oh, oh, these people are festive. No, that's like wildly inappropriate. Yeah, mm. it's something else. So, anyway, our neighbors put up some Christmas lights down here, yeah. like way before Thanksgiving, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate the passion of it. Uh, we need a community conversation but about what all. is appropriate. Is there a group of people that you guys are okay with? <laughs> that's what I want to know. <laughs> Just, I feel like the open-mindedness of the Newcomb household is off the charts. <laughs> I don't think it's very open right now. We need to have some more community conversations, which I feel like would be rather one way from Clay and Misty to all the... The conversation is, do what I say. Exactly. You've got to have some standards. got to have some standards. I'm with you, Clay. I'm with you, Clay. Let me me introduce our our guest today, Dr. Daniel Roop to my left. Good Hello. to see you, Dr. Dan. The revered Dr. Dan. did what all good Bear Grease Render podcast participants are supposed to do. Bring the deer that they killed the racks in. Nice. So yeah, Dan so brought his nice, about. nice rack. That in here. skull is clean. It's nice. How'd you do rather that? Rather petite. Hey, my <laughs> wife. I got to give her most of the credit. <laughs> for the Dremel. Are you serious? Busted out the Dremel tool. She's oh wow! Pretty yeah, impressive. she got all the sinus yeah. cavity out. Yeah, you'll never see a cleaner sinus cavity unless Kayla gets a hold of it. <laughs> oh, she even Dremel the top of it. Great. So we got a nice eight point buck sitting here. Josh Spellmaker, yes, the Land Bridge didn't kill a deer. Caught a decent trout. Okay. Didn't kill a deer. Yep. You're sporting a nice, I like that Arkansas flag hat like with a trout on it. You like that? Yeah, I do like that. Mm. So Josh Brent, Josh went with me to 
Folsom, New Mexico. Oh, when nice. we recorded this George McJunkin podcast, I'm basically which, a subject matter expert now. <laughs> yeah, well, and still didn't didn't wasn't qualified enough to make it to the actual podcast. Yeah, why couldn't you ask me a question? You could have. Asked, I mean, he was right well, there with you. I could, and I was there. Okay, <laughs> okay. I, I wasn't even. I gonna, guess there, I are, there are more parts. I guess coming. I, I wasn't even going to bring this up, but now I've been put in the corner. Oh, okay. Okay. Is that Did out of the I, bag? No, during do? during the middle of the interview <laughs> with, with, with Kyle Bell and Matt Dowdery and the Folsom Can Museum. Can you say his name? Right? I absolutely cannot. Doherty. 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 Yeah. I can Thank you, Josh. I was say. about to. I was about to. Because I can another look at word how he's. Too. There is another way. There's of spelling lots of words I just can't say. Okay. Do you guys know what the other word was from the podcast? Pronunciation. Nope. Because he definitely can't. Posthumous. It's. it's it's gonna he be says hard. posthumous. I will say it's going to be hard to have community conversations if there are a lot of words that you can't say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. Sorry. So throwing it out. Sorry. Back to me being backed in a corner. Yes. About Josh not being on the true. podcast. His voice actually was on the podcast, and I had to yell at him across the museum. <laughs> hey, Josh. <laughs> shut shut it. it. Y'all need to be quiet back there. Shut he it. was back there talking to uh, to this other guy. So. Anyway, you so you kind of were on the podcast. No, Josh <laughs> yeah, rode with me out there. It was great having a travel. It was party. fun. We had a great time. Yeah, it was like whirlwind. We were out there for a very short amount of time. Drove there, got there late at night, like after eleven or maybe even midnight. I can't remember. And then we were gone the next day by like two o'clock. Yeah. Oh wow. And got all that stuff for the podcast. So it was great. So Josh Spillmaker, nice hat. Thank nice you. Nice mustache as Thank always. You. Mm. Thank you very much. I, it just yeah. kind of grows Speaking there. of people that I tried to get on this podcast, I invited Josh's wife, who's a dear friend of ours as well. Unfortunately, ah. she's way more important than me and couldn't make it. Yeah. She is pretty important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, so to she Josh's job. To Josh's left, Brent Reeves. Brent, great to see you. Greetings. Hey, I want, I'd like to call out Brent for Brent drives three hours one way to come to this podcast. He's basically the I hero. I three hours the other way going back. <laughs> <laughs> no, just Brent's, Brent, Brent's. Thank you, Brent. You're welcome. Brent's our good friend. Yep, yep. That's a nice pair of overalls you got on there. They're all nice. To Brent's left. How many pairs of overalls How many? Do you yeah, I think it's a good question. One. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Probably six, I Six, guess. one for every, almost every day of the week. Mm-hmm. You need on, like on a- On the Sabbath, he's naked. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Edit that out. <laughs> Kids, close your ears. <laughs> Neighbors, close your eyes. I just went, I just went to PG-12. That's a front yard Halloween decoration. You do not want Who's Brent on the Sabbath? <laughs> Happy Halloween, y'all! <laughs> Sabbath Brent. Uh, no, wish, thank you. I, I wish she was wrapped in uh, Christmas lights. <laughs> I wear that bearskin rug. <laughs> to Brent's left. My lovely wife, Misty Newcomb. So great to Thank be you, a Ms. part Newcomb. of all these conversations. Thanks for being here. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the invite. So my dad, wink dad would have been here, but he couldn't be here. That's all I'm going to say. Nope. Probation. Um, no. So I, there's a couple of housekeeping items I have to Uh-oh. I have to uh, go through. Number one is Meat Eater. TheMeatEater.com right now has a massive Black Friday sale. Yep. Seen if, you, it. if you ever wow. wanted anything from Meat Eater, now's the time to do it. They've got, um, so all their, all their T-shirts and stuff are like mm-hmm. a high, big percentage off. Let's see. Let's just go right through this. 
50% off logo wear. That's significant. $100 off Vortex Diamondback 3x5 10 by 50 rifle scope, $100 off Vortex. Scope. That's a lot of numbers. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> Hike. Th- this is what I would be most interested in if you were buying me a gift. <clears throat> wink, wink. <laughs> the source. Book and knife bundles. If you were buying him a Halloween gift, a <laughs> Thanksgiving gift. bundles, okay? Dan lost his bench made. Oh, so oh, you no. get the survival guide and a bug out a knife for $165. Uh, Butchering big game bundle is the meat crafter knife, which Josh has. This in his hand. knife is really feels super nice in the hand. I wish you'd put it up. Mm-hmm. I, I, he looks I, dangerous. Everybody's out of my blood zone right <laughs> look now. At, yeah. Look at so, <laughs> so they have a lot of bundles. So you can check out you can check out uh, the the meat eater Black Friday sale. I will also say that soon and very soon there's going to be a whole suite of Bear Grease merchandise. Ooh, like t shirts, hats bunch of stuff so that's Finally. it's not available just yet but it will be available it's coming. Soon. i'd like to okay. see a t-shirt with a mashup of me and brent's face yes that'd be good huh yeah that'd be great or just a picture of <laughs> so, me mashing his face yeah <laughs> i'll buy that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one daniel okay has. um i got a uh i had a little bit of we haven't gone through much feedback um from you know like itunes reviews oh yeah recently and I've kind of made a habit not to do that, but I, I did have one guy that gave us a five star review, but said he said he said Clay foreshadows way too much, hmm. <laughs> and he, he said it's a great podcast. I love it. Clay foreshadows way too much, and when he said it, I knew exactly what he meant, <laughs> and 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 I thought, man, this guy must just really love surprises. Yeah, he must like he he doesn't want me. To tell what I'm about to tell in a cryptic statement. He just wants a surprise. Okay. So like he wouldn't want his wife to be like, honey, you're not gonna believe what we're gonna have for dinner. He would rather her just go, Ta-da. We're having lasagna for dinner. It's your favorite. I and he's like, Bam, thank you. He's um, talking, he's talking about the Folsom deal, right? Oh, this was a this was this was a while back that oh, okay. he wrote this. Because it was I just thought it was funny. Because ten, minute, ten minutes of foreshadowing. Like, uh-huh. Is this part two when we find out what we're talking I, about? Well, I, Misty, it's kind I'm of funny, Britt. It is kind of because I said the same thing to Clay that <laughs> I felt. Did, so this was a while back, not not since the fourth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, no offense, but he might be right. <laughs> <laughs> it took a little bit of time. No offense. I'm not just talking about the full stuff. I'm just talking about like life with Clay. There might be Clay loves to he loves suspense. He loves build up. He loves drama. And when you say you'll never guess what happened today, I don't know. My mind always goes to worst case scenario. <laughs> like, do our kids all have their arms? Hey, do yeah. we all are we all still intact? Anyway. Well, I, I thought it would be funny if I just started um, if every single sentence in the rest of my life, like anytime I just dealt with people in like normal life. Leave the kid I foreshadowed. <laughs> no, no, like we're about to have dinner. And it's going to blow your mind what we're going to have. <laughs> You're not like, going to want to miss like it. Like walking You're clickbait. You're not going to want to miss it. That was the best spaghetti of all time. But the dessert, 
is going to take you to places you've never been. <laughs> I think if, you, if I said that to like a dear if, guest. If you could weave this dynamic into your community conversations. It's true. That's yes. like People you're, may, you're never going to guess the standards that we have for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The community. Actually, we the Halloween it, skeletons were great. I think it needs to be Wait like a positive. The just, like Positively spin. spin You'll it. never guess the type of community we want to build here. <laughs> the time where you could go to the grocery store without having to see. Without nightmares. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> no, I just thought it was funny. It, it was a good statement. You know what? There, there, it's really difficult to build a documentary-style podcast, especially with somebody like George McJunkin, because there's so many different facets of it. The whole premise of the series is not about George McJunkin. It's about the Folsom site. Right. But And I didn't want to spill all the beans about George right at the beginning. So anyway, I, I agree with it. Way too much foreshadowing. Well, people today... They're, they're instant That's a joke. Information. I'm foreshadow to the day I we all, die. We all know you are. Sucker. We all know you are. But people today, you like you wonder something, you pick up the phone and you Google it. I need it's to true. answer this right now. It's, it's not, true. Let me think about this. It's like, nope, let me type it out real quick and mm-hmm. get you an answer. So you want the information instantly. Mm. You don't you want you don't want to wait around. Yeah. And and I get it because I was about to chew my arms off trying to think out what is this podcast about. And finally yeah. You, Good old you found out what I it was. I still don't know what it was about. <laughs> You've got to start listening to these things. Dan. Hey, okay, so moving on, I've just got a few little topics here of things I want to discuss. Did you did you did you guys hear that they they have postponed quote unquote the bear season in Washington State? No, no. Did you hear about that? Mm-mm. No. Yeah, this is a serious this is a serious issue. No foreshadowing here. TC seventy four oh three. On iTunes. <laughs> Called him out. Mm-hmm. No, really All good. his friends are going to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's triggered. That's what we called them in high school. <laughs> Washington State, they have, a, they have a commission. And right now, the commission, I believe, has four seats in it. And it's supposed to have five. There's an unfilled seat. Oh. And so, oh, pretend, that, so there can be issues that come up where there's a, lot a of split problems. decision uh-huh. where they just have to basically be at a standstill. Who and, can, can I ask a question? Who chooses the people who occupy these seats? Well, that would be different for every state, and I'm not sure exactly how Washington how that works. They're often I governor appointed. Many of them, like here in Arkansas, it's it's appointees. This is mm-hmm. like the Supreme the Court of hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the state, exactly what yeah. it is. And so, what what you have happening just on a if you were just looking at a national scale. In, the, in, in some of these different states, especially states that have big urban centers like Washington State would have Seattle. But what's happening is that where there are large urban centers like Seattle, Washington, Dan, that's where most of the state lives, like in terms of population. So the, these, there's big, massive numbers of people that typically outnumber the, the people in the rural areas of the state, or at least equivalent. Another example would be in Michigan, where my friends at the Michigan Bear Hunters, yeah, they're constantly talking about you know the, the the big cities in Michigan, Detroit, and where there's these massive urban centers, and these people simply don't have an understanding of rural culture. It's true, and the way things work in terms of wildlife management. Those urban centers are often easily preyed upon by those who have an agenda to that is not favorable to hunting in a significant way. There are animal rights groups like the Humane Society of the United States that have massive, massive budgets. I mean, like just an unbelievable amount of money. And 
where do you think they're going to spend their money in in trying to build their campaigns in the cities they're going to spend their money where they're going to get bang for their buck right yep and so they spend money in a lot of these urban centers and and pick specific things and it's not always against hunting sometimes it's it's with confinement agriculture or whatever you know they're they're involved in a whole lot of different stuff but Hunting is definitely something they're involved in. And there's many, many other st- even statewide groups that are affiliated with some of these bigger national groups. And basically, you have this this thing where these urban centers end up controlling wildlife management. In Michigan, Michigan is a referendum state, which means if you can get enough signatures on a sheet of paper, you can get anything on the ballot. That's a very simplified version if they can get 100,000 signatures, they can basically put, vote on just about anything. In some states, like in Arkansas, all of our wildlife management is run by a commission, a, a seven-seated commission, as I understand it. So all the decisions of wildlife are made by them, not by just the average voter in the state. And so that's a good thing, as long as your commissioners understand hunting, understand wildlife management, are pro-hunting, and you know, have some sense. I'm not sure what's going on in Washington because there's there was a there's a four seat commission and two of them voted to against having a spring bear season and two of them voted for it. And the way that it came up was the anti group started a lot of propaganda about spring bear seasons, just saying all this negative stuff. They put it up and it's now been postponed. And that's a tragedy because <clears throat> it may not seem like that big a deal, but it is no secret that the, the anti-hunting agenda in this country is designed to break down our system incrementally. Incrementalization. Was like it, they're not trying to, they can't, they're not just going to shut down hunting. Was any of it based off of uh, scientific research from the, the Department of Natural Resources or Game and Fish? No, or Game and Fish is, is for it. Well, and, then, and it's a very, very regulated season. It's a draw season. I went through and looked at the... Um, looked at the results of the hunt from the, from the last several seasons. And basically, it's not an over-the-counter thing. You can't just go to Washington and buy a spring bear tag and go hunting. They have, it looks like, about 15 different zones, and each zone is allotted a certain number of permits, and it's very regulated. And one of the things that they sometimes have used against spring bear hunting is that you could shoot a sow with a cub, which just doesn't happen very very often and when you look at the male to female kills in these different zones there's a very high skew towards males being killed in that spring season and they put spring seasons at such a time when it's going to be much more likely that you're going to kill a male earlier in the spring the males are out roaming around a bunch more than the sows with cubs so right. you know, it's just there's a bunch of science behind it and um, so I say all that to say you know, we live in like this heyday, seemingly, of North American hunting. And we live in this, also, this little time block of being humans where it's hard to see beyond that time block. And we may be like, ah, hunting's not that threatened. But it absolutely is. And and these guys in Washington are seeing that. But there's a chance that the spring bear hunt will come back. But, uh, yeah, we're going to work on some action steps for stuff that people can do. And, you know, this is the phrase that we say all the time, guard the gate. And maybe if you're new to the Bear Grease podcast, you've never heard us say that. But guarding the gate, predator hunting 
is the gate for the anti-hunting sentiment, wherever that comes from, to enter into our space as North American hunters. So if you looked at all North American hunting, you looked at elk hunters, whitetail hunting, duck hunting, pheasant hunting, squirrel hunting, the place, the entry point for people to crack into our little system that works so well and has been the absolute pinnacle of, of human animal husbandry on planet Earth since humans have been here. The way they crack in is typically through predator hunting, bear hunting specifically. And so that's why we say bear hunting is the gate. Mm. And so if we, we guard the gate by becoming informed and knowledgeable about why bear hunting makes sense, why it's sustainable, why it's scientifically backed, why it is just such a positive thing. You know, and, and I could go on all the all and, the talking and points. communicate with our legislators and AGFC commissioners and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and yeah, so we say guard the gate. <clears throat> and so in Washington, they're having a tough time. And there's going to be some places where we can, when the when the, when it comes back around, and they have a full commission that can vote on it and actually make a decision, we could flog these guys' emails and, and different ways we can communicate with legislators. And say, hey, this is a good thing. It doesn't make any sense for us not to have this spring bear hunt there. Guard the gate. Guard the gate. Yeah, man. It's a heavy, heavy topic right here before Thanksgiving. Speaking of heavy topic, if that chair that Dan's sitting in lasts <laughs> to the end of this podcast, I'll be if you surprised. Hear a crash, <laughs> it is Daniel falling to the ground. He's got a double handful of screws. I'm always is it? giving this chair. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I just got back from Nebraska. Had a good whitetail hunt in Nebraska. Uh, it's Prove pretty, it. I don't have that. I don't have the. You had here. an amazing whitetail hunt in Nebraska. Yeah, that buck is the size of a truck. It. The pictures did it. Favors, Camera adds ten pounds. Was, what about the the body of the the animal was big though, right? It was. They're not <clears> as big <throat> as you would think. That deer was probably one hundred and sixty pounds. One hundred sixty really? pound buck, probably maybe maybe a little bigger than that. Wow, it looked big. Yeah, it it. Uh, it was a good buck. Had a good hunt with the Meat Eater crew. You'll be able to see that hunt on season 11 of Meat Eater nice. at some point. So that'll be good. So as you know, on the Bear Grease Render, what we're doing is we're going to talk about the last Bear Grease podcast, which was part one. This is an interesting series because the How series, many parts are there going to be? Probably don't, three. Don't really? foreshadow Four, seven, too much. Eight. You won't believe how many parts. <laughs> you won't believe how many podcasts there will be. About Just when that. you thought it was safe. <laughs> <laughs> the pod, the series is about the Folsom archaeological site. But the whole first podcast wasn't about the Folsom site really much at all. It was about the man that found the Folsom site. That's, that makes it fun, though, mm. because it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. I have a question for you, Dan. Define for me archaeology. <laughs> it's the I study. actually had this oh. thought on the way here. Like, what does Speaking archaeology actually mean? Be. Oh, thank you, Josh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm no, curious to see Doctor Dan. It's the study of material culture. So it's not just stuff that's dug up, but archaeology, even present day, you can look at material culture. Would look like our look at our phones, our clothes, anything like that. Material culture, but material it, human culture. Exactly. Yeah, you're okay, going to look that, at material you, human. You culture. nailed on the distinction there because a paleontologist or paleontology would be what study of bones. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. So when we that's say, what I thought because I, I, I was trying to decipher the difference between paleontology and archaeology. 
mm-hmm. because was was George McJunkin a paleontologist, a, an amateur paleontologist, or archaeologist? Right. Well, okay, and that's what cued me in. And I think in context, like if this had been on the ACT test, you know, like we used to take. Are you, are back you trying to bring up my ACT score? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it was subpar. <laughs> I'd rather not talk about I, that. Okay, if, if that question had been on a test, I would have got it right. Like, what is oh, archaeology? Sure. A, this, B, this, C, sure this. Because I'm really good at understanding context clues, but if you would have just said write an essay on what archaeology is with no context clues, I might not have known. Because Dr. Meltzer said the the and we're going to get to know Dr. Meltzer really good on part two. Dr. Meltzer said that the site went from a paleontological site. Oh no, that wasn't he got into right. an archaeological right? site. Yeah. So it transitioned when they found the human the human evidence, so material culture. So very good. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. Yeah. What did uh, so, Josh? You went with me to Folsom, New Mexico. I did. Would you have known anything about the Folsom site before that? No, I I never even heard about it. Never heard of George McJunkin. Never heard of the Folsom site. It was fascinating, though. Dan, would you have heard of the Folsom site? You know, don't don't try to make us feel like you're smart because you're a doctor. (laughs) Just tell us the truth. (laughs) I wondered if it was connected at all with uh, the Folsom Prison Prison. Blues. Any Mm. anybody else think that was just me? a lot of people that I said we went to Folsom, they were like, "Yeah, Johnny Cash." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Nope." I was like, "Nope." Just no. Nothing to that was do with Folsom, Johnny. California. Different, different Folsom altogether. Yeah, yep. totally different. All if right. you went to Folsom, there's nothing there. I mean, it is in the middle of nowhere, see, which made me think good spot for a prison. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. No, no. Okay, never mind. No, I didn't know a thing about it. Okay, good. That's yeah. good to know. See, that's that's a good touch point. Two of the smartest people I know didn't know a thing about Folsom, New Mexico, and the Folsom who, site. Who, Dan You'll was never one. Who's the other one? Who did? <laughs> Brent Reed. Wow. Now, Brent will lie and say that he know he knew about it. Watch this. Hey, Brent, did you know anything about Folsom? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you been to Folsom? No, we I would say in this room, if anybody had been to Folsom before, and I have to say that the Spielmakers and the Newcombs have traveled a lot out west. Mm-hmm. True story. And still, of anybody in this room that I would expect to have been at Folsom, I would say Brent Reeves. We went by it. We went where the sign when we were out hunting was straight. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I saw the place to go out there. Now, my familiarization uh, with it. I don't think that counts as knowing a lot about Folsom. <laughs> I didn't say. You asked me, did I know about it? And I said, yes. <laughs> I did know about that, it. That. Uh, my familiarization with it would be from the projectile points, okay. arrowheads and artifacts, Native American stuff. Because I've, I've been, we picked those up on our farm from when I was picking up to pick up rocks and tell the difference between one I should keep and one I should throw at my brother. And my brother mm-hmm. is—he's real—he's self-taught about a lot of the different types of points, Clovis points, and all the different different. Oh, types. so you—he—you you would have known that terminology like yes. Folsom point. Yeah. 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 And just from from being interested in it, not from knowing everything, not which like I academically known, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Just from a vein of interest that I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have only probably known about it from uh, the Meat Eater podcast a couple of years ago because Steve Rinella had David Meltzer, Doctor David Meltzer, who we'll get to know a ton on about 
later. He had him on there. Was that a foreshadow? Yep. <laughs> I'm keeping up with him. That's number 12. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of like when a friend of yours has a tick or like a little thing they do all the <laughs> or time. Or a flea. Or a flea. And then somebody points it out and then all you can do is hear that. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, yeah. Thanks. Yep. Commenter. Yep. yep. Now we're yep. all stuck with this. TCO734. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership 
at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Misty, would you have known about the Folsom site? Because I'm married to you. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say, oh, I know a whole lot about that. But yeah. I would have definitely like have heard about it. And <laughs> This is a lot, a lot of Clay's pillow talk. Is <laughs> <laughs> archaeological sites. For sure. Uh, <laughs> talking about hey, the okay. old Folsom points. So talking about finding stone points. What's interesting is that the Folsom point, you could find a Folsom point in my front yard. Did you know that? No, you could not. How? Yes, you could. Yeah, because the Folsom point, and we'll be talking about this on a later part. <laughs> 14. <laughs> they found this style of point in Folsom, New Mexico. This style of point predated anything they'd ever found in North America in terms of technology of stone points. So they pull this stone point out, and they're like, holy cow. Never seen We've one. Never seen one like this. And I have before. to. I have to say, after seeing them handling them, they are beautiful stone points. Yeah, they're they're really something to see the way that they're shaped. Like I've seen a lot of stone point. I mean, stone points you've found here. Comparatively, they're so delicate and sharp, yeah. and just uniform. Like they, it took a lot of skill to really make those. Well, so, Josh, that was a great description. That was. Super. I I'm, feel like I have I one impressed. in my heart right yeah, now. Yeah, that was really, that was great. <laughs> the, but the reason you could find one here is that they then use the term Folsom to describe a time period. It doesn't mm. describe a region. It describes a time period of people that were here. <laughs> but typically they find Folsom points in the Midwestern United States from, well, from like, New Mexico to you can find Folsom points here in Arkansas. Really, mm-hmm. and it it was a it was a technology that a people of a certain time period used. So it just happened they found the first one there, so they named it Folsom. That's the way that that's the way archaeologists think. So that's where See, the I first ones were found. That's right. Okay, but since then they found them other places, all over the place. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, all over the place. But I don't want to dive in too deep on Folsom because. We'll be talking about it later. But uh, <laughs> George McJunkin, though. George McJunkin is, <clears throat> was a cool dude. No doubt. I, I'm surprised I'd never heard of him before. And I'm still surprised at how little there is known about the guy. Right. But what a, what a guy of character. I think that uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are, that are idolized in the world these days. Some that... Uh, are good some that are not so great but this is a guy that you can look at his life and say there's a guy of integrity there's a guy who who stuck with things i i, I really appreciate the fact that he he was he really went against the grain you know and i appreciate that about guys in that part of the world that life revolves around providing for your families and working hard and caring about others those are the things that are meaningful to me and to see a guy like that, who really went against the the trends of of the age, and stood up for what was right. Super, super cool guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I appreciate the fact that I got to go with you just to to learn about him. These guys revere this guy. I mean, yeah. it, he, the, these old men just talk about him with such reverence and and honor. Make themselves what, great. What I, I picked up when I talked to Matt Doherty, <laughs> uh-huh. he wasn't super convincing on the phone that he was the George McJunkin expert of the world. 
he just kind of, I don't know, he just, he wasn't just like putting all his cred out there. And finally, I just asked him, I said, hey, are, are you the guy I need to be talking to? <laughs> just tell me, you know, I mean, because I want, I need to find an I expert. I need to talk to that guy. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, okay, that's good enough for me. If you pretty much think you're the expert, then that's good. <laughs> we go there. He lives in the building that George McJunkin died in. Yeah. Turns yeah. out he's pretty much that guy, right? Yeah. He, his grandfather. So there's a picture of George, and you can find it online. It's in the book, The Black Cowboy. There's a picture of George McJunkin in the early 1900s standing on a porch, just a vertical picture. Mm-hmm. And there's a little, you know, and George is black. There's a little white baby at his feet, mm-hmm. which. Toddler. That's a story right there. Is it yeah. not? Yeah. And, and that little baby is Matt's grandfather grandfather yeah they just revered george and matt's grandmother is the one who basically collected intel on george's life i mean think about think about if a guy died like just a guy down the street that you knew and he died and then all of a sudden five years after his death you realized that he had done something that changed our understanding of human history and was going to be in textbooks you'd kind of be like holy cow we should have yeah. Probably took a few more pictures, wrote yeah. down a few more dates, saved a few more letters. Not made fun of his Halloween little... decorations. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what's so interesting about George is like his life just kind of passed by, and they recognized that he was unique as a cowboy and all this. But anyway, Matt's grandmother was was the main source of info because she had saved correspondence, and that's just kind of neat. Yeah. And so these, I said all that to say these guys. I really think if you'd have talked bad about George McJunkin, they would have fought you. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes they would have punched definitely. you in the face. Kyle Bell would have shot you with his H&R 32 pistol. Okay, yeah. let me ask you this. Because when I was listening to the podcast, this was a question that I had. It's clear that they revere him, like you say. And it's clear that that was earned. And I know why I would think highly of him. Why do you think... I feel like the intensity with which they respect George McJunkin... And devote a lot of attention to him is pretty high mm-hmm. and way above average for just someone that you respect. Why do you think that is? Two things. Okay. Do you have an answer? I want to hear what you have to say first. Two things. They I live in a, a tiny third. little bitty town. Folsom, New Mexico has like 50 people in it. And apparently there's some kind of political election going on there and it's pretty heated. <laughs> you saw lots of signs? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a town of 50 and I think they're having a city council election. And there was a little mudslinging going on. Just <laughs> 25 to 25. Um, you no, have once it's again a, polarized That's what I was, I was looking for it, Dan. I was you waiting for it. it. <laughs> you stepped into that town and they just parted like the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> One so, side to the other. <laughs> so it's a small town and he is a hero of that town. Yeah. Okay. It, it's like the quarterback from, you know, like 1968 yeah. that Uncle won the Rico. state championship. <laughs> and so they're they're like, man. The name of your quarterback was Uncle Rico? No, I've never seen Napoleon oh, Dynamite. Okay, okay, okay. These people hate Halloween. They had not seen Napoleon Dynamite. They don't watch movies. <laughs> so it, it's a small town and he was a hero, number one. Now, Matt, it's a small town and he's the hero, but this was a, a a family friend yeah. that they were endeared to. Actually, they they you 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 mentioned in there the flood that revealed the bones. 
there was uh, another there's a there's a plaque right near near the museum but she was the the switchboard operator and she stood she stayed at the operator thing so she could call people and let them know that the flood was coming until she died in the flood oh wow, wow. yeah pretty amazing story holy cow yeah. so the flood that <clears throat> uncovered the Folsom site was really a unique flood and we wouldn't have this kind of stuff here but it wasn't even raining in Folsom New Mexico but it had rained on Johnson Mesa, which is 20 miles away. 14 inches of rain fell, just like man, that. Flash flood. This water just comes rushing. And it's not even raining. So Here it it's is. like, why would people even be oh, wow. that Here worried it about it? Here it is. Sarah Sally J. Rourke, heroine of the Dry Cimarron Flood. On the night of August 27, 1908, while working as a telephone operator, Sally received a call that a wall of water was rushing down the Dry Cimarron River toward Folsom. She perished that stormy... It's like blurry. (laughs) She perished that stormy night at her switchboard, warning of the danger, saving countless lives. Telephone operators across the country contributed 4,334 dimes to honor their colleague with a memorial. Did you, you know, know they found her body a year later? Oh, no, man. Oh, like miles downstream with feet sticking out of the ground. No way. True story. I don't think you should do your fingers like that <laughs> when telling the story. Also, <laughs> Andy Griffith, the uh, telephone operator, the operator on there, Sarah, was named after that lady. No, oh, really? No, I'm lying. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear why. As the words were coming out of my mouth, really, I was like, you're really lying. It's that hypnotizing voice. Even though you Velvet know pipes. he's lying, you want it to be true. You just, you just, it would have been cool, classic. though. It would have been really cool. That would have cool. been a great story. Dan, what did you think about the podcast? I, I'm, I was with Misty a little bit. It, it took me a little, I, first of all, I always prefer the podcasts that are about people. So uh, the yeah. the the Panther one previously, I think that was great, and it and it was finishing up on Warren, um, right? But I, you know, I thought, oh, okay, agree, we get a person, you know, I, I like that, I like a story, like a person. But I was trying to kind of get my mind around what we were talking about. What we're talking about, you know, I was just, and I get it. There's there's some bones and there's points in there, and but I, what I what one of the things that kind of struck out to me stuck out to me was. You're living in a day and age where everything is, I guess, of course, now, like the worst thing you could ever say, here I am, a white man. The worst thing I could ever say is, oh, I don't see color, you know, uh, or I'm colorblind or whatever. That's like the last that we should like, acknowledge, uh, we need to be able to be aware, be aware of that and see it and interact with it. And, um, but I think hearing them, them, so when they were first saying that, I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? We're not supposed to say that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But then the more That's they talked point. about it, Back, you know, three, four generations ago, when everything you're doing is practical skills, it really would have been a realm uh, for a man of color to kind of move up the ranks. And then hearing how it was actually the Mexican cowboys that really welcomed him in and taught him. And and I don't know. I just thought it what a it's kind of interesting to hear this story at a time when race is such a big deal in our country. And so part of me was like, man, that's so great because here's this man who on the basis of merit was able to display his character and was welcomed in. But then at the end of his life, you know, it was kind of sad to hear that he never married because Mm -hmm. even though we don't see color, there's not a white woman around that's going to marry this guy. You know, it was, it's just, just complex and it's just entering into history and a, and a guy's story. I think it's really, when you hear stories like that, when you got to the end and they'd start talking about him not being able to, to find a wife you know, you watch the 
Disney or the Hollywood versions of these these he- heroes and people who went through civil rights movements or things like that. And sometimes they they attempt to show the difficulty of it. That'd be a tough thing to show the difficulty of in a movie like that. You know, there's a lot of, of stuff that we really uh, don't appreciate and, and couldn't appreciate that they had to sacrifice to to pursue the lifestyle that they, they pursued. And I don't even know if they would have had an opportunity to count those costs. You know, that I don't know that that would have been a logical thing that you would think through. I see what you're saying. So you're saying like in a Hollywood version of racism, like triumphant, like someone like chanting racial slurs in the street would be something that would be very, you could look at that. Yeah, you could, but the other side of it, that is a harder story to tell is a, is a man that never marries because of, and I think it causes people to not appreciate the difficulties, the interpersonal difficulties that people Mm -hmm. go through to rise above the, you know, to the ceilings that are, are put there for them at whatever time that they find themselves in. The reason we like George McJunkin is because he exceeded expectations and he exceeded the boundaries that were placed on him. And he did it, like Dan said, on merit. And he was, uh, he was able to, he, like you said in the podcast, he clearly had social tact. Like he had a whole skill set of things that allowed him to reach what, what he reached and achieve what he achieved. That same skill set would be a skill set that would really want to be married. I mean, that, that, that mm-hmm. social ability and all that, that tells you yeah. this guy wants to have a family. He wants to, to be married. All- and he did in the book. It says that like his whole life, he wanted to have a family. Yeah. yeah. And that's a cost that he, it's hard to, it's hard to capture. It's, mm-hmm. it's just hard to take into account the loss. To me, it's hard to, it's hard to really feel that. And when, when you went to that part of the podcast, it, it was just really sad to me. Yeah. That that part of it it made me it made me sad for him. You know, here's another interesting aspect of George McJunkin is we would have never known who he was had he not found a once in a how many gazillion lifetime archaeological site. Right. <laughs> the only reason that he's in the Cowboy Hall of Fame, honestly, is because we know it knew his name. Yeah, because and I'm not saying he didn't deserve to be in. He's not in the Cowboy Hall of Fame because of that. Right. He's in the Cowboy Hall of Fame because of the way he rode Bronx, his, just his life, yeah. his ability to be a cowboy. But I think if you're really looking at it, the only reason we knew him and people told the story a hundred years later is because he he found something that how many humans have been in America for the last ten thousand years, and one of them found an archaeological site that rewrote. Human, well, mm. a couple now. There's been a couple others. But, like, point being, how many George McJunkins are out there that just right. weren't the one that yeah. found something that made them super famous? Yeah. You know? And it's it's interesting that uh, that George McJunkin, for until 1972, wasn't even credited with that find. Right. It was the archaeologist that came from Denver that, that yeah. went, and, went and viewed the site shortly, shortly after... Within a couple of years after George McJunkin's death, and then um, they he he and a colleague were credited with that find, and it wasn't until 1972 that George McJunkin was actually credited with it. I'll tell you what impressed me most about it. I think somebody would eventually found that site. It didn't have to be George McJunkin. I was most impressed with the story of him deciding to do something mm-hmm. in a time that was hard. He decided he wanted to read and write, so he put himself yeah. in a position to learn that. 
he set a goal and he was goal oriented and solely focused on making himself a better human being. And he did that. And he did that in a time when it was hard. And today, you know, it's so different where people gripe about the spoon that they're being fed with, about the size of the spoon back when that cat didn't have a spoon. And people, regardless of their situation, they can, if you work hard enough, things shouldn't be easy. Things should be hard, and you should have to work for it. You probably shouldn't have to work for it as hard as George did, but he did it. And he didn't, nowhere in that podcast did I hear one person say anything or tell a story that, that George sat around and said, man, I had it tough coming up. It was, it was always what was going to be happening down the road. He said his, and once he reached that, just from my summation of it, once he reached that goal of educating himself, it didn't stop. He wanted to do more, and he wanted to do more. He thought he, but he did find those bones, that site, and he thought he didn't think it was just bones. He knew he knew enough to say, "Hey, somebody ought to check this out." Mm-hmm. They never mm-hmm. did uh, in his lifetime, but it was just. I think he is a great inspiration for what a thirst of knowledge can do for somebody, regardless of the situation they're in. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that impressed me the most. Yeah, I thought David Meltzer did a good. He had a good angle. It's interesting talking to so many people about one person, and you get just kind of little snippets. But David Meltzer said that George McJunkin was one in a hundred of the, of cowboys that would have even got off their horse to look at a bone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and again. George didn't see 32 bison and tickless bones. He saw just a handful of bones sticking out of the dirt down in this arroyo. And uh, just, you know, the curiosity to get off of it, get off his horse and go down there and look was. uh, But curiosity is a thirst for knowing, for knowing, mm -hmm, finding out what something is, you know, and that, that never, that fire never went out because here he was, he had probably surpassed any, thing that he could have possibly dreamed of doing growing up as a slave here i am the boss i am the boss of this ranch why do i need to do more but yet his curiosity never stopped Mm -hmm. Uh, it was it was really cool i can't wait i kind of i'm i'm very interested in the in the native american part in the the Folsom stuff yeah but i kind of hate to see this chapter close on him. Yeah. You know that's the thing about george there's not a lot of intel on him you know this one book uh, the Black Cowboy is, as far as I know, the only book that's written about him. And uh, there's some other snippets of intel in a few different places, but most of it is is it, most of it's in that book. I assume he's buried. Did y'all see a cemetery? Yes, yeah. where he was buried. There? Yeah, he's buried. He's buried in Folsom. And I wish we could have gone to the his his grave. Yeah, we didn't. And his house. Yeah, or where his house was. Where his house was, yeah. Yeah, that was also so yeah. sad. I know. Uh, got a man, he's just got a handful of possessions, and yeah. the house burns down. Yeah. Yeah. It's because he took that skull. <laughs> oh, you think that's what it was? Yeah, that's that's kind of hey, did anybody catch my joke when I said, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I want to talk about this part of George's life. And then when I ended, you thanks, said, thanks, Debbie. Deb. I said thanks, Deb. Yeah, we yeah. we we caught it. Oh, we caught it. I oh, think okay. it's fun it just that wasn't that funny. Yeah. That you, <laughs> well, I mean, were not. you hoping that we would bring well, that up on the on the Bear Grease as our favorite of, part? No, no, no. Hang on, edit all this out. Now that one part where you referred back to the Debbie. joke that you had made <laughs> just seamlessly—that one really got me. 
No, one of the funniest things I've ever been a part of my entire life. I was a part of a business networking organization back when I LinkedIn. had a landscape company. <laughs> and uh, one day, it, so it's this super awkward deal where we had breakfast every couple of, every, once a week with all these business owners in the community. And I was a young guy trying to start this business, so I was going. There's like 20 people in the room. And somebody gives some like terrible news about something like, like every week you had to stand up and talk about your business, and I I really don't remember what was said, but uh, a guy a guy stood up and said, "I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but you know, I'm going bankrupt and we got to sell our house." And my wife, my mother-in-law's house burned down. Can somebody buy my breakfast? And the place just goes silent. Like twenty people that don't know each other just goes silent. And uh, my CPA who was there who had invited me. To break the silence after like 20 seconds of just awkward silence, he goes, thanks a lot, Deb. (laughs) (laughs) I I never forgot that. So anytime someone says, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, I go, thanks, Deb. (laughs) So I watched people's faces, a couple of people that I was with when I listened to the podcast, and they never even got it. They, they never even registered in their mind. So there's I've, a lot of hidden clues inside the Bear Grease podcast. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. That's a subliminal message. There's well, a lot of, I'll just say, as possibly one of the people he was watching, there's a lot of pressure to, to listen to the Bear Grease in front of Clay. There's a lot of, uh, does he sit there and like just watch every reaction? That's my joke. That's my joke. Did she get it? Did she get it? <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> I'm starting to know why you guys don't see many movies. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole lot of Misty. Listen to this. He One, more time. Misty. Yeah, One more time. It's more like Misty, you'll never guess what he's about to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you'll never guess. Well, the mm. podcast was adequate, I think. That's what it sounds like. It yeah. sounds like it was yeah. pretty yeah. adequate. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, too bad dad's not here. He could really, he could really put me into place. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. he caught it. He caught it. He was not amused. It was an okay podcast. That's what it said. <laughs> it was just okay. I thought it was a good podcast, and I'm glad you did it. And I'm glad. I think that you understand foreshadowing here, um, that once you hear the second one, you kind of understand the significance of this contribution he made yeah. in a way that you don't understand after the first one, which is the great part about the two-parter. Yeah. And and so you'll, you'll we'll all come to appreciate him. I think that we all appreciate him as it stands just for being a cowboy. I mean, like, just for what he, just for his life. And I think that that's also super valuable to, for someone to live their life in such a way that gracious, there's people devoted to it and to preserving the honor of what he did. And so that speaks volumes in, in particularly of, of a man who was born into the world at a time that he was born into it, where it, it was harder for him to reach those, those, that, that level of respect. Mm-hmm. than it would have been other people. And so I think in and of itself, his life without the discovery of this other thing, really without understanding the significance of it, was a, a life that was worthy to be covered on the Bear Grease podcast. Good people deserve to be remembered. Yeah. Regardless if they make an impact. Good people make an impact, period. His his would be a global impact for mm-hmm. what he found. Mm-hmm. But he obviously had a impact on that community because all those people loved right. him so much. Mm-hmm. So they deserve to be remembered. Yeah, it really is remarkable the loyalty that that whole family feels to him, and that the people in that community feel to him. And that's that is that is notable. That's significant. Mm-hmm. 
Are we going to get to hear f- more from the illustrious Kyle Bell? Nope, we're done. Mm. We're done with Kyle. <laughs> what a character we're, that guy is. We're yes. not remembering him. That's how, you, that's how you said that. Nope, we're done with him. Yeah, that, that guy is a character. Yeah, he was. Man, that photo of him. Am Which I thinking one? of the right guy? Braids. No, I'm thinking mm-hmm. yeah, braids with the leather straps. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, when you described him on the podcast, and then I saw, I can't remember where I saw, oh, I saw that photo. Little, Instagram. Of little yeah. video of Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that guy. We followed him else. all over all over that ranch looking for the Folsom site. It's kind of in a weird place. Yeah. And <laughs> we kind of got turned around. So the Folsom site, you actually, you can't go to it. It's yeah. not like a national park or something. It's, there's a public, publicly owned 10 acres that the Folsom site is on. So it is, the Folsom site is on public land, but it's landlocked by private. Yeah. So there's no legal access to get in there. We had to get permission from the ranch owner to get back and in And there's there. nothing to see there either. Yeah. You would never know you were at it's the just, Folsom site. It just looks like a patch of grass and a ditch. Just, no fence. Just, well, there's, there. yeah, there's a big fence around it okay. to keep the cattle off of this ranch, off of it, just so it's do not. Do they still do digs out there? No. Well, yes, they will one day. What's What I learned from Dr. Meltzer is that archaeological sites, there is like etiquette. Mm-hmm. There are rules in the way archaeological sites are now developed or excavated, and they purposefully leave some stuff right for technology that maybe we can't even foresee that in a hundred years from now somebody will be able to go back in and learn more which is just bizarre to me so the, the way so the way it worked was that the site was excavated in 1927 and that was the first time it was excavated and there was a bunch of people involved in that and then that was it and, and it was a multi-year process and then David Meltzer, Dr. David Meltzer from SMU in Dallas, he basically built a case for why they needed to go back and do a second excavation of the Folsom site. And I don't know what people and processes you have to go through, but he got permission, and they went in and did like a multi-year second excavation of the site and learned a whole bunch of new stuff, and now they had radiocarbon dating. Right. They did not find any points, though. And then when Steve Rinella was there, after... Oh, he's been out there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. When Rinella was there, after Meltzer did his did his excavation, Steve said they were standing there at the Folsom site, and he looked down, and there was a bone sticking out of the dirt. For real. And he, he said he so bad wanted to go over there and pull it out, and the archaeologist that he was with was like, don't touch it. <laughs> so, so there's something connected to that bone. That archaeologist is a little ornery. They wrote a song for about sure. That. Man, poor Steve. What if that's like the finding of the of this century, and he was robbed of? <laughs> he'll, get, uh, he'll get credited with it in 50 years. Okay. After he's dead. No one will remember Steve Rinella for his media or for all his accolades. They'll go. He's the guy that. Found he's the that guy bone. that found that bone. Tell you what, they're going to remember was the one media guy. <laughs> That walked got off of that, his horse, got out of his Subaru. 
and walk down to look at that bone. <laughs> They're also going to remember that he's two and a half feet taller than you are. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that was wild. From that Instagram oh, video. That yes. photo. He was on a stool. He was, he was, so, okay, if you're not up to date on what is being spoken of here, there was a video that leaked out um, of Steve Rennell and I debating a painting. And he was standing on a. Uh, he had the higher ground. He was on a milking stool. It looked like. Yeah. <laughs> he, so in this in this living room, there was a you know how a wood stove will be setting up off the ground yeah. to have like a like a rock platform that it's sitting up on. It had to be a pretty high platform. I mean, <laughs> a, a, a platform is six inches, maybe. He, he was three feet taller than you. <laughs> He was standing on that rock platform, Dan. Were you kneeling before him? <laughs> I don't know. It was. Uh, he's taller than me for sure. Well, not like a foot taller than me. <laughs> he's he's more than a foot taller than you in that photo. <laughs> oh man! But the good news is, is that I was right. <laughs> oh gosh! Um, it was evening. It was, yeah, it was evening. evening. It the looked artist, like evening to me. And, and then, but then Steve comes up with this whole thing about death of the author have y'all heard about death of the author Mm-mm. it's like an artist does a painting or a writer writes something and even their intent doesn't matter what matters is how it's perceived Perception. by the reader yeah. so they call it death of the author so you could read you could look at a painting and go that's morning and then the author chimes in on instagram <clears throat> and says no it's actually evening even though you thought it was morning steve and Clay's trying to tell you that is what happened. That's exactly what happened. And then, but then, death of the author means that. And Steve brought this up. It, it doesn't what matter what the author is. thinks; it's what your perception is. Hmm. As I recall, <laughs> you and I were correct. Yeah, yeah. Brent was with me the whole time. Thanks, Brent. How yeah. many times does this exact phenomenon happen? As y'all are looking at your neighbor's Halloween decor, <laughs> death of the author. Listen. I'm just trying oh. to feed my family. Oh, without... toes have been stepped on. <laughs> Speechless. Listen, that's how those community conversations are going to go. Listen. <laughs> mm, if you could have seen it, Brent, literally, literally, there was skeletons <laughs> in <Yeah>. lawn chairs, <laughs> a fire, a fake fire, a cross with a burning witch. Oh. Wow! This is in our. This is wow. Okay, wow. that does sound. A and little the intense. people in the lawn chairs had a dog leash that was connected to the skeleton of a dog. Though no, that's wow. one step that's too far. Cool. I was oh, until you described the dead dog. I was with. Them. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was okay. Yeah, I was just like, why? Why like, are get we out of celebrating this? Why are we celebrating this? Worth it. Man. Worth the money. Okay, George McJunkin. It, it, I I loved. What's so great about all this is I'm learning inside of all this as well, you know. It, it's it's pretty fascinating to explore these unique people and really dive in deep and understand who they are. Misty's laughing. Why are we laughing? <laughs> Misty, are you thinking he's not learned a dang thing? <laughs> I think that Clay probably wanted to edit out my initial comments about the Halloween picture. <laughs> <laughs> and we just keep bringing it back up. Hashtag beating a dead horse. I could tell by the way he was looking at me. 
And it is like the episode. Halloween. <laughs> I'm sorry. Happy Halloween. We yeah. said all that to say happy Merry Thanksgiving, Merry folks. Merry <laughs> <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. No, I, I enjoyed enjoyed learning about George McJunkin. It, it, these guys I'll never forget. I feel like when I look into anybody, whether it's James Lawrence, Warner Glenn, Roy Clark, Britt Davis, all these guys – I mean, part of being human is that we don't live in isolation and we can look at people's lives and glean stuff from it. I mean, how stupid would you be to think that you're just this independent guy that's just going to build your life based upon no influence from somebody else? I want to be influenced by a guy like George. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he, I mean, he, he dealt with stuff that I'll never deal with, but he was... He he just was dead set on what he wanted to do. I, I I appreciate guys that are just gritty and tough. I do. I'm a sucker for gritty and tough. And man, if you're a good bronc rider, you're gritty and tough. If you're a black guy back in the 1800s, that is making a reputation for his yourself, way up inside of the ranching mm-hmm. community in this area. You got to be pretty gritty. Yep. And then his his grittiness to Learn how to read and write when a lot of people probably weren't. Yeah. Just, I respect the guy. Mm-hmm. He was funny, yeah. too. He, he, had a, he had a good sense of humor. And just, I like him. I'm going to incorporate that into my life. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're ever in Folsom, go to the museum. It's pretty cool. It is. I, I, I was surprised to walk around while I was making a bunch of noise while you were trying to record a podcast. Mm-hmm. And there was a piece of art in there that was donated by somebody from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Really? Yeah. I was like, oh, look at that. Wow. But yeah, fascinating stuff from historic stuff to fossils to everything. World War II stuff. Yeah. 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 Pretty cool. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Really appreciate it. You are it. welcome. Keep the yeah. wild places wild. That's what it Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. 
designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.